the mystery of the gospel has been revealed. Over the last few months, we've been going through this book of Romans, looking at how a Christian is made. And Jesse, Pastor Jesse, has been walking through what it looks like for God to reach down in his sovereignty and save us from the sinful life that we've been in. I don't know about you, but the more that I grow to know how something functions and works, the more that I begin to love and care for it. And though the theological waters have been deep, it is amazing to be able to see how God cares for us, how he works, and how salvation reaches down to us as individuals. It's a beautiful promise that we can walk forward into. And as we've been looking at how we are saved as individuals, there's a, a, a stumbling block that we could run into that could be problematic in some ways. That as we look at salvation in the individualistic way that God brings us to himself, we can begin to believe that spiritual maturity acts in the same individualistic way. We can begin to believe that we on our own work out our sanctification just like our justification. That we on our own work out our obedience in the same way that God has brought us and made us right to him. And Paul, I believe in, in Romans chapter 16, as he wraps up this letter, is going to go completely and utterly against it. See, we have in our mind that we are like the, the our, our obedience to Christ is like the Rocky training montage. Remember that from Rocky 1 where, where he's training to be able to, to win the fight and he's running wind sprints on his own. He's, he's going to the meat locker and he's punching bags and he's climbing up the stairs and he's victorious and he's doing it by his own grit, his own tenacity, on his own individual le level without anybody else there to help him. He's able to fight forward. We think of our sanctification and our obedience in Christ the exact same way. We see it as individuals. We see the grit, the blood, sweat, and tears that we poured into being able to read through our Bible reading plan and actually get through the book of Leviticus as our own individualistic doing. We see that, that on our own, we were able to share the gospel and get over our fears and our anxieties. And therefore, it was by our own individualistic effort we were able to accomplish that. And on our own, we were able to climb the steps of spirituality so that one day, God will look down upon us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. We see our obedience and our walk with Jesus as an individualistic act. And Paul is going to go against that. He's going to share with us here that actually as we grow into spiritual maturity, it is a communal act. It is by the church community and those in our circle and around us that we are able to grow in who God has called us to be. And, and he's going to share this by looking at a group of people that were able to help people go forward. Now, as soon as I mention church community, or as we begin to dive into it, immediately some of you at home, the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Like that word community, it's like sandpaper on your skin. Like, as soon as I say it, it harkens back to memories where there was tension, where there was strife, where there was fighting, where there was anger, awkwardness, whatever it would be. Someone that hurt you and judged you in the church, and therefore you have not truly stepped forward into community because you've been broken, because you've been hurt, because you've been wounded. And it's because either we or someone else in the church 
has been operating in one of two incorrect ways. So we've been operating on a pendulum in community. On one side of the pendulum, we've been operating too dependently. And you can tell when someone's been operating too dependently by the language and verbiage that they've been using. They will always say, you. You are responsible for my spiritual walk. You are responsible for how this small group turns out. You are responsible for my Bible reading, my prayer life, everything, my, my, me being spiritual fed, everything that is, uh, that is a part of my spiritual walk with Jesus, you are responsible for. That is someone that is living within a dependent nature. That you are responsible for my well-being. And when people operate dependently, the problem is they place too high of an expectation upon broken, sinful people for the expectation of their spiritual walk. And when those people fail, they walk away from community because they don't want to be a part of something like that because no one else could help them forward. On the other side of the pendulum, if you were to swing it away from dependency, there is independency. This is language and usage of I. I am responsible for my spiritual walk. I am responsible for my Bible reading plan and what I do. I am responsible for how everything in my ministry area turns out and no one else is. I am going to do this on my own. And they function in such a way that they silo themselves off, never entering truly into the beauty of Christian community and bearing one another's burdens and confessing sins to one another because they have been siloed on their own, completely and utterly alone from the world. And they operate in independency. See, we fluctuate between these two things. And typically, actually, most of us live within one of these two areas. And community breaks down. It doesn't function in the way that God had called us to, to, to use it and to allow us to function. Instead, it completely and utterly breaks apart. There must be a better way. We see all throughout the book of Acts and all throughout the Bible that there is a better way. Paul's going to call upon a group of people that though they are broken and though they are simple, how we're able to strive for that better way. And that better way is interdependency. In fact, my main idea for this morning that I think we would get out of Romans chapter 16 is that we grow into Christian maturity when in community we operate interdependently. Interdependency is the language of we. We are responsible for how our small group turns out. We are responsible for the church and where it goes. We are responsible for ministry and what happens. We are responsible for our spiritual well-being. We will help one another. See, interdependency is, just, is not just looking to your own needs, but also to the needs of others. It's caring for them. It's looking at yourself and then seeing how you can extend yourself. Is being poured into and also pouring out into the lives of other people. Interdependency is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And in verses uh, 1 through six, uh, 16 of Romans chapter 16, Paul is going to list off a total of 28 people, 26 of which are named and two that are not named. But these people were an interdependent community that were able to see the church move forward in what God was calling them to be and grow those in their midst in maturity, in sanctification of what God wanted them to be. 
Now, as you look through these names, some of them are kind of difficult to pronounce. Some of them are a little bit weird, but I think there are some very important names here. And I would encourage you on your own, go back, read through these names, list them up, look up, Google them, go home and look them up on your computer and look at the historical nature of these people and what they had accomplished because it's an absolutely awesome and beautiful thing. But there are a few different people that I want to point out that Paul has named here that is important for us to understand and see their impact. The first one that he points out is actually his sister, Phoebe. In verses 1 through 3, he points out that she had done a massive and instrumental work in the life of the church. That she had done awesome, awesome things for the people around her. In fact, this one verse is where we get the office of deaconess here at Highlands Community Church. Now, there are some people who would interpret this text differently. But the way that we as a church interpret this text, we see that she is a servant of the church, that she had an office of the church, that she mattered and she did awesome things for the people of God, and she built them up to be able to grow the church and move it forward. It's awesome to see. And I think as an important caveat, it's important to see that, that women matter. Ladies, you matter in the church. You have an important place here to be able to build up the life of the church, just like Phoebe did. There are people that you can help and reach down to to be able to bring forward in relationship with the Lord and that you matter for the function and life of the church. Further, Paul's going to list off a couple other people that, that also have extremely important roles within the church. We have Hermes, who is actually named after a pagan god, a part of this list. A person that you would not consider to be a part of this list, that would have been on the fringe of everything that they'd be doing, is right here listed as a person of significance. We have Priscilla and Aquila, who are, were a married couple, who did awesome things for the cause of God together by uniting their marriage and pursuing after him. We have Olympus, a person that was a complete, um, he was a Gentile who would have been considered an Orthodox Jewish culture, someone that would be cast out on the outside, but instead he has been invited into this group to be able to make an impact and move them forward. This is a group of broken people that found a home and they moved forward by caring for one another and interdependently showing love and grace, the same love and grace that God showed them. So the question is, what does this interdependency create? What does this love, this community create, and how does it benefit the church? I think in verses 17 through 20, Paul actually gives us an extremely important and helpful way that we can see uh, this lived out. Look at verses 17 through 20. It says this, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise to what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. In this text, in these few verses, 
We see the beauty of community and how it helps us strive forward and who Jesus has become as Paul charges us to move forward. I think the first thing that we see that interdependency ends up creating is that it creates an accountability which upholds truth. An accountability that upholds the truth of the gospel. Look what Paul says. He says, I urge you, watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles. When Paul says, I urge you, he means this is of utmost importance. I want you to consider this significantly. Watch out for these people and avoid them. The ESV translation says that these are dividers and deceivers. These dividers and deceivers had specific markings that Paul pulls out here in this text that would be important for us to know and realize so that we can recognize them in our midst and call them out in areas where we need to. The first one is that they, they, they flatter people consistently. In fact, we would probably want to be their friends. They're the people that always tell you good things and never a bad thing. They never give helpful critique, but instead they're consistently telling you what you want to hear. Not only that, they go after unsuspecting people. Paul says that, that they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So they're constantly going around immature believers, young believers, those who are young in their faith, and they are trying to bring them aside because they know that they can use their wit and their wisdom to be able to turn them to the doctrine that they want to be able to place in their life. These people have, uh, do everything for their own gain and their own glory as well. They serve their own appetites, as Paul says. They do what they want to do so that their platform can be upheld. So that what they want to be able to do can be upheld and not the glory of God. And lastly, they aren't Christians. These people do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, they are in our community trying to pull people away from what God had accomplished. And we need to avoid them because they are absolutely detrimental to the unity of our church. We need to move forward in common grace together. But we need to be aware of the liars and deceivers in our midst. And Paul notes this. Now, I think it's important for us to understand that most dividers and deceivers don't just wake up one morning and they just are like, hey, I want to go divide and deceive the church. I want to take this community, I want to split it apart, and I want to move it forward. Most don't just wake up one morning and believe that. But instead, it is a slow corruption over a long period of time in which their egos begin to get inflated and they see ways that they can manipulate and harm other people. The only antidote for this is accountability. We have to catch this early on. We need to recognize it in the young in our mix. We need to be able to look at the community, those that are in our small group, and notice in moments where they may be experiencing error so that they don't end up walking down a path of corruption, that they don't end up getting inflated egos that only want to flatter themselves. We need to have accountability for one another. We need to have honest conversations, candid conversations about how we are doing and how we can help other people be pushed forward in Christ. See, all of us need someone that is willing to be honest with us, and we all need to be honest with someone else as well. We need someone that's willing to call out our blind spots in our life. See, blind spots are called blind spots because we can't see them. 
Blind spots in our life are areas that we aren't able to see, but they're areas that maybe our ego has become too overly inflated or our pride has begun to show out. And then we begin to walk forward in sinful ways. And we need someone that's willing to sit us down for lunch, sit us down for coffee, to, to, to call us and say, hey, do you notice this area of your life and where you are going? Do you notice what you are doing? We need words that sting but build up not flatter and go nowhere. We need words that are willing to help constructively uh, criticize and, and build us up towards Jesus Christ. And in the same way, we need to be a people that are going forward and sharing this criticism and this construction with those in our life. It's the only way that we may be able to mutually build one another up so that the truth of the gospel could be upheld. We actually see Priscilla and Aquila, someone that has been named in verse 3, as people that do this. In the book of Acts, they go to a very talented young speaker by the name of Apollos, who is actually preaching an Old Testament gospel, the gospel of John. And he's going forward and he's um, preaching the, the, the gospel and he's um, trying to do it as best as he can. However, this married couple together go to him and say, hey, you're preaching this incorrectly. You're missing the mark. You need to consider this. And he moves forward and he becomes a better preacher and pastor because of the correction that he received from both Priscilla and Aquila. And it's important for us to see that. And it's important for us to know that, that there are people that we need to go share correction to and that we should share correction as well with them. I even think back in my own life as I've grown in ministry, me and my wife have been able to experience the same joy by being able to receive correction from other people and then also give correction to students and other ministry leaders in our midst. And it's hard. It's a difficult thing to sit down with someone in their living room or in your living room or over coffee and share with them an area that they don't see that may feel difficult or painful. But the only way that we're going to grow forward more, the only way that truth is going to be upheld is when we are willing to be honest and open with one another and receive correction. We need an accountability that points towards truth. The second thing that we see is that we need um, that, that interdependency ends up creating obedience, which fosters evangelism. Look at verse 19. It says, The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. He says that all of the churches and the societies and cities have looked into the church that, that, that has been created here and they have seen the obedience and the adherence and the devotion that these people had and they've seen it and they want it. Their collective obedience brought about evangelism. The people around them were able to see how much they loved Jesus in their world. I think of it this way. Me and my wife bought our first house a few years ago. It was in this small suburb of Dayton, Ohio. And it was in this very, very, uh, it was in this neighborhood of older homes. In fact, our home was built in the 1940s and it was kind of coming apart at the seams when we first bought it. And the yard was literally just crabgrass. It wasn't even really a lawn. It was just crabgrass and that was it. And then in the basement, we had all these camel crickets. And I would encourage you, if you want to see something unbelievably uh, just scary and creepy. Look up a camel cricket. Uh, we had mice in the home. It was just this older home, things that you would experience with an older home, but it was rust, ruddy, and it was um, in need of a little TLC. 
And all the houses in the neighborhood were very similar. All the houses all around us experienced the same type of thing because they were all of the same age and they had been built around the same time. They were all in need of a significant facelift and they needed to be remodeled significantly. But there's this one home, this one home all the way in the back of the neighborhood that every single year won the Dayton Beautification Award for their home. Every single time. Year in and year out. I was slightly jealous like the, 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 the homeowner part of me became very jealous of this and the fact that they kept consistently won it. But anybody that was driving by our neighborhood at a given time would never look into the neighborhood and look at all the houses that needed to be remodeled or built back up and say, I want to live there. That looks like a very well-to-do community that's very built up. No, they would drive by it and if they did see a home that they would want to go after, it would be the one that consistently won the beautification award. It was the one that would always be built up and look good and, and, and would always be presentable to the rest of the world around us. Now imagine if all of my neighbors, and, and myself included, went forward and tried to go after that same beautification award. That we built up our homes, remodeled it, we made it look good, the lawn was pristine. We did everything we could so that other people, when they w drove by, would say, I want to live there. The second that someone would, they would want to, they'd want to live there. They would look at the home, they would say, I want to be a part of that community. They have it all, they have everything together. They have built up these homes, they have taken something older and they've made it new. In the same way, when the, when the world looks into the church, and they see a group of believers striving forward in pure devotion of Jesus Christ and, and, and grace and love and in mercy. They say, I want to be a part of that. Now, if everything else is falling apart and only one individual is, good, is doing well, they would not want to be a part of it. They would say, that person is an outlier. That person is, is on the outside. That, that person is, is apparently the one that is above the standard. And they'd walk away from it because they feel like they would not be able to receive it. Instead, when they see us moving forward, when they see us love our city well, when they see us give everything that we can for the sake of one another, they say, I want to be a part of that. Our obedience will foster evangelism. It will help us grow forward more. And here's why this is important. It's because not only does that mean that my spiritual well-being and my walk need to be good? That I need to be right with Christ and I need to be following after him and loving him every day more and more. But that also means that my brother and my sister in Christ, that their relationship with Jesus is just as important as mine is. That their relationship with the Lord, that their walk with the Lord, that their quiet time, that their prayer life, that their Bible reading is just as important to me because souls are on the line. And so I need to be willing to pray for their obedience fervently, just absolutely getting before the Lord in tears, praying that they follow after him. I need to be willing to drop everything at a, at a moment's notice when they need help, when they need picked up, or they need a phone call. I need to drop all of my priorities for their sake because there are people that are going to hell because they have looked into the church community and they had not seen the same grace, love, and mercy that we preach on. May we become people that together link arms, caring for one another so that the world may see and say, I want that. I want to be a part of that. 
Let me in. I want to be in that community. This obedience fosters, creates evangelism. Now, Paul then says, and the third point would be that the interdependency also creates charity. It's a charity that brings victory. Look at verse 20. Paul says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I love this juxtaposition because the God of peace, this God of love and justice and mercy, is going to crush Satan under his feet. And Paul is actually pointing to a very beautiful reality. He's pointing to Revelation chapter 21, in which one day Satan will be completely and utterly decimated forever, which means all evil for the rest of eternity will be no more. There will be no more natural disasters. There will be no more cancer, no more sickness, no more problems, no more issues, no more strife, no more tension, no more loss. Death will be no more. That when Satan is crushed under the God of peace, we will forever see every action that he has taken on this earth done away with him. And the beautiful reality is that God is going to do it under the church's feet. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. This is beautiful. This is good news for you and I. But guess what? We don't have to wait for that day. Though that day will come, though we eagerly await that moment, there are small victories today that foreshadow that moment. There are small things that we could do in our communities, in our homes today, that foreshadow that victory. There are small victories in your world right here, right now, that are able to bring about the crushing of Satan under your feet. See, every moment we collectively give our finances for the sake of ministry, we see Satan crushed. Every moment we pick up a, a believer who is struggling or failing and we help take care of them, we bring them into our midst. We see his plans thwarted. Every moment that we are willing to go out and do things in our city and we care about it immensely, we see Satan crushed. There are things that we can do in our world today that foreshadow that moment. You have been given the power of God to be able to walk forward in this victory today. You don't have to wait for it. You can see it today. See, God has placed you where you are to do the work of his kingdom with the people that are around you and the job that you're in and the family that you have. I think some of us feel like we're not qualified, that we're not cool enough, we're not smart enough, we're not good enough, that truly right now we can't see victory in our life, that we will not see Satan crushed because we don't have it all together and we need another class or we need a prerequisite. We need something to be able to walk forward in this victory. And I believe Paul is saying here today, no, we walk forward in the future victory that is to come with the power of God in the area that you are in. See, we, we believe that God would have sent another theologian or an author or a pastor. There's someone else that could have accomplished the ministry in your area of life better than you can. And that's not true. God in his sovereignty has placed you where you are to accomplish the acts that he has given you beforehand. 
so that you may walk in them. If he would have wanted someone else, if he would have wanted a very famous pastor, a theologian, someone else that was stronger in their faith, he would have put them there. But instead he put you to do the work of ministry, to walk forward in victory, to help your family that you have, to help the friends that you have, to to build up the neighborhood you have, to walk forward in the community that he has given you, to help the city that we're in. May we walk forward in that. Don't stand on the sideline. Walk forward in that. Charity ends up bringing about victory in every little action today that our community continues to strive forward in. We begin to see Satan crushed under the feet of the church. It's a beautiful reality. So the question is, what do we do with this? How do we walk forward in this? I would encourage you that if you're not a part of our church community yet, maybe you're watching and you're in our area and we want you, um, we would love for you to be able to be a part of our church community. In fact, all throughout the summer, we have different small groups that are going to be a part of this, uh, uh, that are all going to join together this summer. And, And even though we're going through this season of time, We would love for you to be able to jump online virtually and and meet with other people, encourage one another, build one another up, to have biblical conversations and to hold spiritual friendships and begin to grow in what that looks like and be mutually built up. Others of you, You've been a part of the church for a long time. Maybe you've been burned like we were talking about and you've, you've seen different ways that the church has hurt people and, and community's not good. And maybe you even have been attending for a long period of time, but you've been standing on the sideline. I would call you, call you in to, to contribute. Become a contributor. Use your gifts. Serve in the church. Become a part of it. Financially give. Sacrifice your life for the sake of the community. That way you will see the victory that God has called you into. And we invite you to take part in this community. Are you standing on the sideline? Or are you contributing to the benefit and health of the church? The mystery of the gospel has been revealed to us. And it's an absolute beautiful reality. You may be sitting at home right now and you're more lonely than you've ever felt, more depressed than you've ever felt. You've, you've been struggling. Maybe you've lost a job or you don't feel like the Lord is close to you or whatever it may be. We see a God here that is personal with us. Not only do we enter into community with other people, we also enter into community with him. He calls you friend. He calls you his son, his daughter. Will you enter into relationship with them? The Bible tells us, we literally just read in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he's been raised from the dead, that we will be saved. Is it time for you to enter into new life? Are you ready to enter into the new family of God? Will you step forward in the grace that he has given you and become a child of God? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you We thank you for this book of Romans. It has been absolutely amazing to be able to see what you have accomplished on the cross and how you bring us near to you. God, help us to see moments where we aren't correctly walking in your path, Lord. Help us to line ourselves up with your word. Help us to gather a community around us that helps push us forward in your grace and in your mercy. In your name we pray.